following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. I, you know, it's amazing to me. I have been... Uh, how certain memories stick with you your entire life. Um, there are certain things that I can still see. I can still... Imagine being in my backyard. I had three sisters. I had no brothers to play with, so I had to play baseball with my sisters. And and I still remember. They still beat you, right? Uh, well, this, in this case, they truly did because my, my younger sister uh, was batting and I was the catcher and, and she did... Uh, man, this is going to sound so sexist. In those days, she did one of those girl-type swings, you know, Full bat, full arm extension, and just like this, and caught me right in the back of the head. <laughs> Which probably explains a lot of things. But I also have this memory that has stuck with me for 65 years, probably, of uh, I would spend weekends with my grandfather in Princeton, Illinois. And the highlight of that trip was always, sometime or another, we went down to the general store. Most of you don't know what a general store is, but a general store was, imagine a really old-timey Dollar General, where it had just a little bit of everything, but the beautiful part of it was the candy section. We go to an old-time uh, general store in North Carolina when we're out there, and it's just like this. There were bins or barrels of candy you know, these little penny pieces of candy. And, and my grandfather would always, always buy me candy because with my grandfather, it was like our apartment in the basement. There is, we don't say the word no, right, Emerson? We don't say no, yeah. Um, <laughs> grandparents do that. And he would always buy me candy, but nonetheless, I remember this one particular day. We were the only ones in the store. My grandfather was up in the other corner talking to the uh, owner of the store, and they couldn't see me at all, you know, and this, is, this was well back before the day of surveillance cameras. I'm not even sure we had electricity yet. Uh, but, but I remember standing in front of that candy and thinking, Who's going to notice if I just take one piece? If I just take one piece. And <laughs> I can still see my arm going like this. You know, and, and my brain was saying, you don't need to steal a piece of candy. But my hand kept wanting to go to steal that piece of candy. If you ever saw the Dennis the Menace movie at the end of it where he's sitting in the copy room you know what I'm talking about, where his eyes are just going to that switch. He's told not to touch it, and he can't, just can't avoid it. To this day, I do not know if I took a piece of candy or not. I really don't. But I do remember the temptation. I remember how strong that temptation was to want to take that one little piece of candy. Now, what would it have mattered, really, in the end? It was a barrel of candy. He wouldn't have missed one piece. But I have known, I have carried for 65 years that memory of the temptation to take that piece of candy. Temptation is an amazingly strong thing. 
We look through the pages of the Bible and we see wonderful, strong, godly men and women who have fallen into temptation, right? We look at David and we think, wait a minute, David was such a godly man, a man after God's own heart, and yet what did he do? He messed up pretty well, fell to temptation. Taking that one little piece of candy, consequences wouldn't have been that big. Nobody probably would have noticed except me. But when we get old, older, the temptations become just as strong, if not stronger. And the stakes of those temptations become so much greater. We, the, the temptations that we fall to as adults can destroy churches, it can destroy businesses. It can destroy families. It can destroy lives. And today we're going to look at this passage as we march through Matthew. And an amazing, amazing passage. This was a difficult message because there were so many ways to go. Uh, so many different applications to this. So if you would join me in Matthew chapter 4. Let's pray for us. God, your wisdom and your words, um, that's what we need to hear. Not me, um, but you. I have no eloquence, God. I have no strength, no power to preach. I have nothing to say without you. So God, we lay this all at your feet and just ask you to Speak to us through these amazing words and this incredible story. We looked the last week at, at John's, John baptizing Jesus uh, and that whole story. What an amazing story at the end of chapter 3. And we see that as, as soon as Jesus was baptized in verse 16 of chapter 3, it says, He went up out of the water. At that moment, the heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love, and in him I am well pleased. Now that's pretty amazing, right? <laughs> Can you just imagine can you just imagine uh, the, the heavens opening? And I'm not sure what that means. But it says the heavens open and this, the, the Spirit of God descended on Jesus. And the voice from heaven, God the Father said, This is my Son, whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. I don't know about you, I would be more than thrilled at the end of my life to hear those words. This is my child. I'm pleased. I love him. And so it's this mountaintop experience, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine what a mountaintop experience that is? And chapter 4 then starts, and of course you know there are no chapter breaks in the original Languages; These just flow one to another. The chapter and verse breaks are just to make it convenient for us to, to find things and, and so on. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When? Right after the baptism. And immediately that same Spirit that rested on him leads him. And the, the voice of that 
word, that phrase that leads him, means that truly the Spirit said, come on, we're going to go. It's time. So Jesus is going to go right from this mountaintop experience of being baptized. And now the Spirit's going to lead him into the wilderness. There's a lot of different interpretations of that. One possibility which makes some sense is is that that the Spirit led him from the Jordan River, and, and it's about 30 miles to Jerusalem, but you have to cross this, this desert plain. And I mean, it is desolate. It is down. It, was, it is deep, one of the deepest places in, on planet Earth. It's hot. Uh, Mark, in his account, mentions wild beasts, probably pretty dangerous. And the Spirit leads Jesus in there, and, and so Jesus is going to have 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. And the word tempted, it says it led him in to be tempted. The word tempted can also be translated tested. It doesn't really matter which one you take. It's, it really comes out the same meaning. But this was going to be Jesus' first real trial by fire. After being anointed by God, he would be put to the test and Satan would personally be overseeing the testing. The temptations start immediately. And it's really interesting. At the end of these 40 days and 40 nights now, uh, here comes Satan. how does he get him first? He, the, to me, in my mind, as I read these passages, there's sort of, they're, they sort of are like a ladder that climbs. You start out at a basic, a basic need. After 40 days of fasting, any of you f- fasted 40 days? Any of you fasted four hours? <laughs> what happens at the end of that time? Oh, it's okay. This is not a trick question. You get hungry, right? You get hungry. At the end, I think it's almost, I don't want to laugh at scripture, but it's almost funny. At the end of 40 days, Jesus was hungry. No kidding. No kidding. He was hungry. And so the tempter, Satan, comes to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So the first thing, all of these things that, that we're going to talk about, these trials and temptations, they are all a means of shortcuts. It's Satan offering Jesus a shortcut to, to kind of circumvent something. What was I trying to do when I, when I thought about taking that piece of candy? I was trying to circumvent, take a shortcut, cut out the middleman. You know, save my grandpa a, a couple pennies. It was dumb, but still nonetheless. What do we do when we cheat on our taxes? Aren't we trying to shortcut something? All of these trials and temptations are shortcuts. The first shortcut is this. Jesus is going to be tempted to take a shortcut to satisfaction. Satisfaction. A very basic need. What's he, what's he attacking him on? A very basic need, which is to eat. To eat. You're hungry, you eat. 
Or, or you can just sit in your living room and turn on the television and see a commercial for a McDonald's double-double quarter pounder. That's going to settle your appetite, right? You don't do that. You go, you eat. And so Satan comes to Jesus and he says, if you are the son of God, turn up the stone into bread. First, we need to understand something. He's not in any way doubtful about who he's talking to. That word if, we probably should just, I know in my Bible, I scratch that out and put in since. Since you are the son of God. You think Satan didn't know Jesus? Nobody knows, none of us know Jesus the way Satan knows Jesus. We know him in a better way. And I thought about this this week. It's really crazy when you think about it, isn't it? That, that, that to even imply that Satan wouldn't know who he is. For each, since eternity passed, he's been doing battle with him. Satan was created by who? God. Who's Jesus? God. Now, if my math is correct, correct it means... God, Satan was created by God. Jesus is God. Therefore, yeah, Jesus created Satan. Created him as an angel. Satan had this incredible pride. Where it came from, who knows? I don't understand all of it, but I do know this. He fell from heaven, and he hates God. And you, my friends, as his children, are hated by Satan too. A simple request, right? If you're the son of God, turn these stones, turn one of these stones into a loaf of bread. Come on, who's going to see? Who's going to see it, Jesus? You're hungry. Don't you want some bread? Nobody's going to see. Nobody's looking. It's like me at that candy barrel. Nobody's looking. You can get away with this. What's Jesus' response? He says, as he will with everything that Satan throws at him. He says in verse 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man, here it gets really practical, people. Number one, it tells us that Jesus is totally dependent on God the Father and on the word of God. We, his church, must be the same. Let me say something that will probably offend some of you but if you're not in the word you are really walking on thin ice if you're not in the word in some way it's why the, the word of God is so important to us that's why coming together like this is so important why coming downstairs to a discovery group and, and spending time sharing with other believers is so important. 
And if I sound like a broken record, I'm sorry, but it's really important. Life, Jesus says, is not about, it's not about bread, it's not about stuff, it's not about our cars, it's not about our houses, it's not about our jobs, it's not about how much money we have in the bank, it's, it's not about who, what people think about us, it's not about how many uh, degrees we have on our door, or, uh, it's about God, and only that, because you can have all that other stuff and have absolutely nothing. You shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Satan went after him on a shortcut to satisfaction. Let's move on to verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan takes him, the highest point, as I understand it, is this point, this corner of the temple walls where it's like 450 foot drop down into the the, the valley. So <laughs> Satan is giving him a really ridiculous command. He said, like, come on, Jesus, you're God, right? Nothing will happen to you if you jump. Some commentators have even suggested that, that part of Satan's um, temptation here is to tempt Jesus to do something so grand and so public that everyone would be drawn to him. I mean, they were already drawn, but I mean, this would make him like the world's biggest rock star. Even bigger than Taylor Swift, <laughs> if you can imagine. And no, I don't care. Um, <laughs> but, oh, uh, why do I say those things? No filters. But he gives this ridiculous command, and, and, and Satan is quoting Psalm 91, and it's a psalm about God's protection for his people, and, and, and God has the ability. He, God could do that. God could catch Jesus and set him gently on the ground. However, Satan leaves out an important phrase in this he misquotes and misuses the scripture. You think ever, Satan ever, has, has he ever done that before? <laughs> Is it in our lives? Do you think Satan, you remember back in the garden? Uh, did God really say this? Uh, uh, wait a minute, did God really say this? And when we are, we are tempted to do something, and, we, and, and God floods our mind with the word, and, and we know what's right and, and what we should do or what we shouldn't do. And then Satan comes along and says, mm, did God really say that? We know God says, love your neighbor. <laughs> your neighbor's really a difficult person. We've got these neighbors upstairs in our house that... <laughs> um, 
And God says, love your neighbor. And you say, well, oh, okay, I know what that means. And Satan comes along and just whispers, did God really say that? Let, let's have a Bible study and let's dissect that verse and take it apart. Maybe we can find a way out. Isn't that what we do sometimes? We try to find excuses. And God is saying, wait. So he's taking this shortcut to security. He's offering Jesus a shortcut to security, which is, I can jump. I could jump, and, and God would save him. Now, that sounds ridiculous to us, and it would be as ridiculous as you and I saying, well, I'm a believer. I can walk out in front of a truck, and God will stop it. Please have your funeral prepaid before you do that because it's not going to end well for you. And throughout the, the scriptures, we see this. Uh, we were talking about Ezekiel the last couple of weeks in our discovery group. And, and there was a remnant left back in Jerusalem when, when so many had been taken into captivity. And that remnant felt like they could do anything they wanted. They could live any way they wanted. Because after all, the temple was in Jerusalem. They were in Jerusalem. And God is in the temple, right? That's what they thought. And so they said, we can live any old way we want to live. And God says, no, I'll smash the temple. You're not safe. A ridiculous command to jump. Security, popularity, however we find our security. Be careful. And Jesus simply answered, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the, to, the, to the test. One more temptation, and this is, this is to me, the, the culmination of this whole scene. And is temptation number three, which is a shortcut to glory. A shortcut to glory. Look, look carefully at this. The devil took him to a very high mountain, verse 8, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. Now, we don't know how he did that. There is no mountain in the world big enough that you could stand on and see all the kingdoms of the world. But God was somehow, God, uh, Satan somehow took God, Jesus Christ, to this mountaintop and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. There is something really crazy about that if you stop and think about it. Now, knowing Satan as he is, he is the father of... Anybody know? Yeah, the father of lies. Why would anybody believe that in the first place? In the second place, when Jesus is ready to ascend into heaven after the crucifixion and the resurrection, at the very end of Matthew that we will get to in, what, 10 years? About that. Um, he says, all authority where? In heaven and in earth has been given to me. 
Jesus is going to get all this stuff anyway, right? Everything Satan is offering him, God has already given him. But there's something missing. What is it? This is missing in Satan's temptation. And without this, what happens to you and to me? Without the cross, there is no salvation. So Satan is essentially trying to win the battle by giving Jesus this shortcut to glory by kind of doing a round end run on the cross. No cross, no salvation. We're all condemned. Have a nice day. And that just struck me so heavily when I read that. And and that picture just kind of opened up. Why did Jesus come? To seek and to save those who were lost. For God so loved the world, what? That he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that that was done by this. Without the cross, there is no salvation. Without the cross, we are all dead in our sin. And that is ultimately the crime of this third temptation. Now, we could go into a lot of directions on this because we all are guilty of this sometimes in some way. We all would like the glory of life. We all want to get the champion's trophy in our sport without having to go through the hard work to get there. We all want the president's office in the company, but we don't want to have to work our way up the ladder. But that's just stuff here on planet Earth. When we're talking about doing an end around on the cross, we're talking about something entirely different. All you have to do, he said, Jesus, all you have to do is what Satan wanted in the very first place. Bow down and worship me. Bingo. Simple. What a wonderful response. Jesus said to him, four words that you need to remember. Four words that need to be burned into your spirit. Four words that need to come out of your heart and your mouth every time you feel temptation. Away from me, Satan. That's simple. Away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So that begs the question, my friends, who are we worshiping? I'm sorry to be so direct, but the question has to be asked, who are we worshiping as a church? Are we worshiping God? Truly worshiping God? These last few weeks have been really difficult reading this passage and having to ask myself constantly, who am I worshiping? 
Who are we worshiping? What are we willing to do? What are we willing to sacrifice to follow Jesus? Or do we want to take that shortcut to glory? We want heaven, but we just don't want the stuff of life that being a disciple of Christ will ask of us. I close with this years ago. Back in the early days of my faith, I read a book by a pastor from Argentina named Juan Carlos Ortiz. And there's this one section of this book that is, the spine is broke on that book right to this passage. Let me kind of paraphrase some of it for the sake of time. So when a man finds Jesus, it costs him everything. Jesus has happiness, joy, peace, healing, security, eternity. Man marvels at such a pearl and says, I want this pearl. How much does it cost? The seller says, it's too dear, too costly. But how much? Well, it's very expensive. Ah, do you think I could buy it, though? Well, of course, anybody can buy this pearl. But you say it's too expensive. How much is it? And God says, it will cost everything you have, no more, no less, so anybody can buy it. I'll buy it. Well, okay, God says, what do you have? Well, let's write it down. Well, I have, a, you know, a couple thousand dollars in the bank. Okay, that's good. Um, that's mine. Good, what else? Oh, I have nothing more. That's all I have. Have you nothing more? Are you sure? Oh, well, okay, I've got a few bucks here in my pocket. God says, that's mine too. I'll take it. Let's see, 20, 30, $32, that's fine. What else do you have? Well, God, I don't have anything else. Where do you live? Well, I live in my house. Ah, the house. The house, really, God, the house too? Yep. You mean I gotta live in the garage? Oh, you have a garage too? <laughs> I'll take the garage. Oh, then I got to live in my car. Okay, I'll take the car. What else? <laughs> I don't have anything else in the world. Are you alone in the world, God says? No, I have a wife and two children. Your wife and children? Hmm. I have nothing else now, God. I am alone. Okay, now, now you become mine. 
when we are willing to surrender everything that we have and everything that we are and everything that we hope to be, then we can be God's. Are we ready for that, church? Are you ready for that? Are we ready to challenge ourselves to that? To complete surrender. Didn't say this was going to be easy. Why don't you close your eyes as the worship team comes. And just kind of sing with me. And I think most of you know, obviously, this. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Let's sing it one more time. I surrender all. Sing it with all your heart. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. Oh God, that we would be a church filled. We don't have to be hundreds and, or thousands to make a difference. Right now, this moment, if five people in this church committed in their heart, to love you and nothing else, and to hate sin and nothing else. What a difference we would make in our world, God. And may we go and do it not for our glory and not for the glory of this church, but for your glory and your glory alone. We surrender all. As we sing now, God, to your sovereignty, to your power, to your grace, and to your mercy, we sing, Father. We sing to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.